Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I have a show I've been very excited to bring to you guys for a while. You may have noticed that I listed this as part one. It's looking like it's going to be a four-part episode that I'm going to spread out over the next three months. So I'll just do one show every month and we have a lot of music to cover because not only is there a lot of music on the Gladiator soundtrack itself, a year after the soundtrack was released, there was another bonus CD that came out and that had even more music. Some were alternate tracks of the original, some were uh, remix versions, but there's a lot of really good stuff on there. Some of it was movie dialogue. So I want to cover all of it. It's one of my absolute favorite soundtracks. There's some just amazing Uh, creativity in both the writing and the performances. And we're going to get into all of that, starting with the first one. Uh, Now, I can say, honestly, I was not at all excited to see the movie. I'm not one of those people that really likes to dig too far back into the past. I really don't like period pieces. I don't like, you know, the old costumes and all that stuff. It just bores the shit out of me. And so I tend to rarely go for one of those types of films. But I was asked to go see the film, and I heard that Hans had done the score, and I thought, well, this could at least be interesting to hear what the music is. Now, I do like a good action film, and I do like a film with a good story. And as it turned out, I ended up really liking the movie. But even more important, just fell absolutely in love with the soundtrack. From the time I left the theater, could not wait to get my hands on a copy, got it as soon as it was available and then was even more excited to find out about the additional discs that came out a year later. So this CD came out in, I believe it was April of 2000, and it is just an amazing piece of art written uh, by Hans Zimmer. And of course, uh, Lisa Gerard did the vocals, and you know she doesn't write words, she writes sounds. So thinking in terms of what I've talked about with my album Camu Vole, was that you're really writing syllables, phrases, things like that, that are a a combination of vowels and consonants that aren't actual words. I mean, some of them may be words that you just weren't familiar with or maybe in a different language, but certainly not English words. And uh, it's really interesting when you hear the sound of these things because they sound like they make sense. But there's a lot more really vocalizing than um, than actual words really put into it, uh, except for, you know, a couple of the pieces. But it's a fantastic soundtrack. Um, right from the beginning, it gripped me. And even if I really hated the film, I, I would have still gone out and bought the soundtrack right away because it's just fantastic. So breaking it into four parts, two parts, uh, the first two parts will be the official original soundtrack and parts three and four will then be the more music from Gladiator Uh, expansion, if you will. Now, I have in the show notes a couple of different options for purchase if you'd like to get this soundtrack. Um, Of course, the uh, options are always on Amazon and iTunes, and they both have all three options. So you can get the first album, the original motion picture soundtrack. You can get the second album, which is the uh, more music from Gladiator, or there is a 20th anniversary edition that allows you to buy both of them together for one price. And I can tell you price-wise, Compared to what they're charging for the soundtrack, uh, it's pretty lucrative. It's worth it. I would just go get the the 20th anniversary edition if it were me. Um, there's nothing that is on the anniversary edition that wasn't on the first two. But if you uh, are looking to get started and get one of them, you might as well just pay the extra couple of dollars and get them both. That would be my suggestion. Of course, I don't know your budget or your finances, but if you've got you know $17 to spend, I think you could scrape together 19 to get the second album, um, in most cases anyway. 
So uh, check it out because I, I think you guys will like the music. If you like the kind of stuff that I played so far in, in the soundtrack community, um, if you have uh, an affinity for somewhat ethnic music, because there really is a lot of sort of location oriented type music and thinking again in the period of, you know, this is when the Coliseum was was being operated in, you know, when it was built and all that. Uh, a really interesting time in our history for people that care about history. I'm just not one of those people. But the movie was great. I would suggest watching the movie as well, because it's one thing to hear the pieces in the soundtrack. Uh, it's another to understand how they fit in with the movie, why they were written the way they were, why certain things happen at certain times to maybe accent something that's happening visually on the screen. And that's one of the beauties of, of good soundtrack music is sometimes it can stand alone, sometimes not. I mean, as I've said, a lot of times, Soundtrack music is really designed to just enhance the emotion for the most part. I mean, when you have your opening theme, you want to set the tone for the movie while you've got your opening credits and all that. Same thing with the end. You kind of just want to sum up all the emotions that have been in the movie, kind of like a reverse overture, really. And it's it's just an amazing art to write soundtracks. And so uh, listen to the music or watch the movie but do both, um, you know, pick which one you want to do first. But I would say do both because there are uh, some amazing things that you can notice about the movie if you know the music well enough. And this is one of those rare cases where the music really was featured more than just as a soundtrack. The music is really featured almost as a character. And um, well, we'll get to the story when we get to the first battle sequence, which is, is coming up fairly quickly. Um, but uh, and I'll tell you the story that I heard from Hans. But it's uh, it's really an incredible piece of art, and I hope that you guys enjoy it as much as I do. So without further ado, here is the first song on the album, Progeny, and it actually opens the film. One thing that I love about this piece is that they didn't just start the movie with a, a heavy battle right off the bat. They didn't uh, open to action. They let it simmer a little bit. They really took uh, some patience and set the stage for it. And I think that was very important because it gave you a reason to, to care what was going on. When a movie just opens to action, unless it's a series, you know, like when when the uh, what sixth? Uh, no, it would have been the third Star Wars movie, uh, number three in the second release. So it would have been Star Wars number three, um, as far as the the Star Wars timeline goes. You know, they open it up to uh, a big fight in space, 
And that's fine because they've already established things. It's a well-known series. You expect a lot of action. So for them to open it up, you've already chosen sides. You're already rooting for somebody. You already know the characters. So it's okay to open up a movie like that with action and not have to worry about how the audience is going to decide who to root for, when they should be excited and when they should be worried or upset because you don't know what's going on. Um, So that's okay in a movie like that. In a movie like this, where you don't have any establishment of your characters yet, all you've done is flash some words on the screen of, uh, you know, basically where we're at in time. Uh, you you really don't have anything to go on. You don't know if you're supposed to root for the the uh, well-equipped soldiers or the people that are wearing animal skins for armor. You, you don't know. So I really like that they gave time to set it up. They really established characters before the battle started. And this piece really helped begin that process. It, it gave you a, a lot of room to really not define anything just yet. Just have a feeling. There's a connection to something. You just don't know what it relates to yet. But this also gives the chance to kind of get those words on the screen and start formulating your uh, your view of who you're going to root for. And it becomes pretty obvious who you're following fairly quickly. But instead of just going right into battle with a battle piece uh, from the opening credits, they just gently ease into the movie They kind of let you feel the lights go down in the room with this piece of music and just focus and understand where things are in the in the timeline. And I think personally, I think that was really important. And it's a beautiful piece of music. It does go on, of course, from here and uh, goes into some other parts. But it really, for the most part, is just a nice little tone setter. The second piece in this one is called The Wheat So I want to point out that the first three pieces on the album all blend together as one long piece. So I just kind of faded in and out uh, for the purpose of the show, but they actually just blend in together as one long piece. Um, This is an important piece because now it's starting to build towards the action. You can hear the uh, drums starting to come in. You hear Lisa Gerard doing her vocalizing. Absolutely stunning. I love her voice. And uh, there's another soundtrack that, that she's on that we'll talk about too. But this is a, a really important build towards the battle and where you you now have seen basically who the characters are and you pretty much know who you're rooting for. Um, it's, it's just time to get it started. And we get uh, some cheers through the next piece from the leaders of the battle to their troops to say, 
you know, we're going to get through this. We're going to win. They can't take us, that sort of thing. You know, the usual inspired uh, cheer that you would hear from a leader right before going into battle. Of course, the other side's doing the same thing, you assume. But we don't really get enough focus on them to know exactly what they're doing because they're the side that we're not following. So even just by the amount of coverage that you have, your mind is already starting to root for the Roman army. It's very, uh, very well played. And, uh, you know, the same kind of stuff has been done in so many movies where you're really getting a forced perspective of who you should root for based on whose story you're being told, who's uh, being shown in a warmer light. You know, there's so many tricks that they use for that kind of thing. But obviously, we're siding with Maximus. He's pretty cool. You know, he's calm. He's ready to go. He's grounding himself with the earth you know, grabbing the dirt and smelling it and just making that connection and ready to lead his people to victory. So this next spot is called the battle. And the thing that's really interesting about this and the story that I had heard from Hans, not directly, but in an interview, I haven't met him, but he was saying that, uh, you know, he was on site when they were editing, I guess. So he was able to just like compose music and then give it to Ridley Scott, the director, and say, you know, what do you think? He said that, that it was, you know, very convenient to be there. So uh, one thing that he did is he wrote this uh, demo for a battle sequence. And Ridley Scott liked it so much that he said, you know, I'm going to edit the film to the music, which is very rarely done. Usually what happens is we might write some ideas, we might sketch out some things as film composers. But in most cases, what happens is, we will uh, have a meeting with the director. We'll talk about general themes, maybe general instrumentation. We'll have read the script before that and get an idea of the flow of the movie. And we might sketch out some basic ideas, but we're really not going to put too much down until we have the actual what's called a working print of the film, which is where the editing is uh, is locked. The picture itself is locked. They're going to work on the sound design, the special effects, you know, anything that was green screen, all that stuff is going to be done. But the timeline of the film is locked. That is not supposed to change from the time we get it. Of course, it often does. But, you know, if we were to, say, go and record with an orchestra at $100,000 an hour or whatever you might be paying... And somebody comes in and goes, yeah, we cut that scene down 30 seconds, so we're going to need to re-record that. That's a hell of a lot of money to bring that orchestra back to re-record that piece of music. So typically we worked off, we work off of locked pictures. But in this case, Hans had given a, a, you know, a sketch of a battle sequence to Ridley and Ridley said, I'm going to cut the movie to this. So Hans worked up the final version of it, gave it to Ridley and Ridley cut to it. Uh, really fascinating because it's it's not usually done that way. But sometimes a piece of music can just be so powerful and so perfect that matches the director's vision that they will flip things around to have the music drive the scene. And it really does because there's not a lot of dialogue. There's not even a huge amount of sound. We get bits of sound here and there, um, you know, horse hooves occasionally, um, you know, swords clanging, somebody screaming, something like that. But it's really not like a full on audio battle sequence. It's visually there, but they really let the music drive it. And I think that's a, a pretty rare thing. But it turned out so beautifully that who could argue the process for this particular film? So let's check out a bit of the battle.
So shenanigans are about to ensue and it's about to get absolutely crazy. But what's really crazy about this piece of music, and personally, I I have to say, I think this is one of the most well-written pieces of music, especially for a battle sequence that I've ever heard. And I've watched a lot of action movies in my day. You know, I went through that phase where I, I wanted to see every Steven Seagal movie and every, you know, every everything that had some really good action in it. But this this movie and this song in particular just blew me away. And the most interesting thing about it that I didn't know until I had heard another interview with Hans is that it's a waltz. It's in 3-4. I would have never thought that. I never actually sat and counted it. Um, I just kind of assumed it was in 4-4 and didn't think much about it, but it's actually in 3-4, which is pretty interesting. So here's a segment from a little ways down the road in the song. If you were to say, what would be a rock and roll comparison to this song? I would have to say the first thing that would come to mind after trying to search for something to come to mind would probably be Tarkas by Emerson, Lake and Palmer. And the reason I say that is because there are so many twists and turns and different parts in this song that comprise the whole thing that... It reminds me, I would say, more like Tarkus, which also has just a lot of boom, now this is going on, boom, now that's going on, boom, here's another change just into some completely different direction. And I think that would probably be the most fair comparison I could think of. Because even a song like In the Court of the Crimson King has a little bit more in the way of structure and repetition than um, than Tarkus. So I would say Tarkus would be probably a close comparison. And there is a battle in Tarkus as well. So uh, kind of a a twofold reason I might say that. But this is just a a really powerful piece of music. It's one that if I need to find some other gear of energy, you know, if I'm just like completely wiped out and I've tried everything I can think of, this is the, the kind of song that I can put on and get my adrenaline flowing again because it's just a very powerful thing. It really makes you feel like nothing can stop you. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing in a piece of music. And I think that's one of the things that we love about music and why we listen to certain things, because we want to feel untouchable. You know, we want to feel like we're going to win no matter what. This is all going to work out. It's going to be fine. And this piece of music certainly does that for me. It's uh, it's very powerful. And then when you listen to it on its own, it's powerful. But then when you watch it with the battle, um, it it really just takes on a whole nother level. And I can really see why. And we'll get to, I don't know if it was the demo version, but we'll get to a demo version when we do the other album. 
And so for those of you that are going to buy it, um, it's called the Gladiator Waltz. That's the uh, demo piece of this. So again, it might not have been the demo that sold Ridley Scott, but certainly would have easily been able to had it been me. So after the battle's over, you know, things are going to calm down a little bit and we move into a song called Earth. Such a patient piece of music. And that's one thing about film music that's very common. And one of the reasons why a lot of the pieces don't necessarily stand alone as uh, album material, because they are really just backing something. You know, here we needed, we had this big battle, we had an end on this big emotion. We kind of need to just calm down a little bit, you know, just, just relax. The battle's over. We can just relax. We've won. And, um, you know, enjoy the things that are going on on the screen. But I would say, you know, even most of this music, I would say I would be happy to hear on a CD. You know, this could be like on a new age CD or instrumental CD of some kind. And I think the piece itself is is great. But coming off of that battle, you really need something to, you know, dial it down a little bit. And I think this piece does a, an absolutely beautiful job of doing that. And then, of course, we have to hit this. We move into Sorrow. So this is actually a little bit of a throwback to the song Progeny that we heard in the very beginning. And this is just one of the themes. Uh, that's the other thing about soundtracks and why some of it doesn't work on uh, standalone mode is because things are thematic. They're meant to throw back, refer to, uh, inflect in different points of the movie. 
And that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense when you're not watching it and hearing the soundtrack at the same time. So some things work on soundtrack albums and some things don't. I'm going to exclude this album from the Sometimes They Don't because I think everything that's on both of these albums fits very well as a standalone piece of music. But once you know the theme and you kind of understand the emotion of it, then uh, it's just that much more meaningful when you listen to it. But obviously, again, another beautiful delivery by Lisa Gerard, a beautiful just field of sound that's really opened up for Lisa to become in uh, to come in and sing over it and uh, and just do such a spectacular job. It, th- this combination of these two people, Hans Zimmer and Lisa Gerard, for this project is absolutely perfect. Uh, I, they work so well together. And um, from what I remember of an interview of his, it came together because he thought of her for this soundtrack. So uh, if that's if I'm remembering that correctly, uh, great pick, Hans. I, I don't think you could have chosen better for this album. It's it's flawless for me. And uh, this is just a very important song of letting it all out, letting out what, what's happening in the scene. And um, I, I think that the emotion that Lisa delivers on top of that just spacious bed that Hans has laid out for her to do it uh, just is perfect, absolutely perfect. And uh, I would not want any single thing changed at all. So that being said, We now move on to the sixth song on the album, and this is called to, I I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, because I am not good with cities around the world. I I probably know most of the ones in this country, but uh, as far as worldly, I'm not not someone who I'm going to claim to be educated on a a lot of these pronunciations. So I think it's uh, Zuckabar to Zuckabar is the next song on the album. This just has such a warm tone to it. You know, it's uh, it, it feels like it could be, go in a colder direction, but it just has a, a warmth to it. Like you're just traveling in the uh, in the caravan and heading to the destination and just maybe looking out the window and watching the land scroll by the trees in the distance, the sun going down, that sort of thing. But that guitar, uh, that acoustic guitar, whatever instrument they're actually using that uh, it might be a, a medieval instrument, but uh, whatever it is, it, it really sounds nice and it really helps keep that motion alive, right? It makes you feel like you're progressing somewhere physically down the road or, or wherever you're headed. Maybe you can see the city in the distance, you know, the fires from the camps or whatever. And um, yeah, it's it's a really nice piece of music. I've always enjoyed that. But next sets the tone for what happens through the rest of the movie we have the song Patricide. 
I would like to say that this music would speak to me just the same had I not seen the scene in the movie, because I, I'm picturing it as I listen to it. But uh, I really feel an, a, a pushed down or suppressed anger when I listen to this. Like, I, I want to be a better person and move past it, but it's just kind of consuming me. I feel an uncertainty in it with that high note that just kind of hangs over it. And I feel anger and uh, the aggression kind of pushing up from the bottom and just so many things that fit this movie so well. This piece of music is so brilliantly written. It, uh, it, it just has all the feelings in it. And as I listen to it now, you know, pulling, pull, you know, picking up this clip for you guys, it, uh, it just comes flooding right back. You know, you don't really know the full depth of what Commodus has been through in this scene, who is the emperor's son, but you certainly know that he has seen his fair share of unhappiness, um, probably lack of approval from his father, who's the emperor, and uh, a real disconnection from the family, and wanting that more than anything. And that plays out as a theme throughout the film, but you really get a taste of that in the music. I think it's it's just absolutely fantastic. And so, of course, you know, now that we've had patricide committed, the next song is The Emperor is Dead. see this version with the uh, the the string picking there does sound cold you know the uh, voice that's there at the beginning and it just stays with it that just has such an ominous funeral dirge feel in it to me and again you know that someone's just been killed so it could just be that subconscious implant of your knowledge of the story and then the music enhancing that emotion really comes back and just makes you feel like that's uh, what the song is saying but to me uh, I can't say. I hate that, though. I can't say for sure. But I really feel or would like to feel like the music really conveys the right feeling. And as a standalone, you wouldn't connect it to the story, but you would connect the right emotion. And that's the most important part in film music. So I would say very beautifully done. It, it's a little bit slower picking than what we were hearing on um, to Zuckerberg, but definitely has a, that transition feel that movement that something's going somewhere feel to it and i think it's it's just absolutely fantastic so the uh the last song that we're going to cover today is called the might of rome
Now, if I remember right from the movie, and it's been a while since I've seen it, but I feel like there's a bit of a gap in the timeline between the last song and this one, because Commodus has now taken over and uh, things have uh, really changed in Rome as his power has uh, really just affected the entire city. He's a bit uh, well, he's a lot different than his father was. Let's just put it that way. And he is now making the city afraid of him. Um, whereas his father was, I think, a little more beloved by his people. And uh, so Maximus is kind of waking up to a whole different version of Rome than what he's used to. And obviously, he's not going to be happy with what he sees. But this is a really powerful piece. It changes the tone because now the world that we're in is different. And I think that's really important because you get that subconscious distinction when you hear the different types of music that you're in different locations or in different times. And that kind of just enhances the reality of how different things are without having to be shown, okay, it is now five years ahead and Commodus has taken over Rome. They don't have to put that up on the screen. They don't have to have a character convey it. They can just do it with some visuals and the music. And I think that's so much more elegant in a film than just going 10 years later. Now, I mean, there are plenty of cases where that works just fine. A comedy, you know, some dramas. But for for a movie like this, I think that just, you know, titles just kind of take away after the beginning and the end credits. Anything in between there, I think, becomes a little bit questionable that there's got to be another way to deliver that information. I think they've done a great job here. We follow Maximus' story. We know where he's traveled to, but now that he's coming back to Rome, or now that we're seeing Rome again, um, we're seeing it down the road after the changes. So completely different field of music. Uh, ominous, for sure, because the people are afraid of Commodus. They're afraid of what he's going to do. They're just terrified of him as a ruler. So this kind of piece makes absolute perfect sense. And I think this is just the perfect place for it. And speaking of the perfect place, I think we're going to go ahead and end this first chapter of the four in the Gladiator soundtrack saga. I love this music. I really hope you guys are digging it. And we'll be back at uh, next month with part two. But we'll be back next week with another show. Take care, guys. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>